Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Eruk the end of Chacht Erechor. Agasuligum a Makan Shah, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nachvetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestin Echo. Vientolam Aginom Griv, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Who were the winners and the losers in 2021 when it comes to tech? What about 5G, the national broadband plan, Apple? Who really flopped and who really soared? Well, here to today to discuss this with me, I'm joined by Gavin Sheridan, who's the CEO and co-founder of Viz Legal, and also uh, who writes an excellent newsletter, which you can find at gav.substack.com. Gav, you're very welcome to the podcast. Now, let's start with the losers first, because they're slightly more interesting and titillating than the winners. Um, Cybersecurity, absolute basket case in Ireland in 2021. Yeah, so obviously the big story earlier in the summer was the HIC hack um, and subsequent ransom and then subsequent release of a, a decryption key that could then be used to decrypt the, the all of the devices across the HIC's network. Um, but the loss of all the data was the big story and we don't really know where all that data is now, but that was the big story. And also, I suppose the, the general kind of alarm bells that that should be ringing across the entire public sector about their general information security. Which, as far as I can tell, and you correct me if I'm wrong here, is not happening. There are no alarm bells as far as I can see. There's a big report. But as far as I can tell, the general mood is that that was like a tsunami. It was a natural act of God. And what could we have done? Yeah, I, I suppose there's sometimes a, a resistance potentially to um, to seeing maybe the bigger picture. Because it's obviously the, the public sector is a big, multifaceted, many-headed thing that has a huge amount of people working in it. A huge amount of organizations um but this is not going to get any better if anything the information security landscape is is getting progressively worse um and you're you're already seeing this just in the last couple of weeks with hacking of ukrainian uh infrastructure potentially in advance of a purported russian invasion of ukraine that might happen next as early as next month so there is a kind of a, 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 a maybe a tendency to say, oh, that was a kind of a black swan event. And, you know, it's not going to happen again. Or, or if it happens, we'll be ready kind of thing. But not really. But we we may have systems in place. I mean, I it, it seemed like a really, really serious thing, especially especially from a, a GDPR perspective um, where there are no, no new obligations that didn't exist before. Um, so GDPR has this concept of material and non-material damage that um, didn't exist in the pre-GDPR regime, which means that if I'm perfect, if I'm affected by um, if I'm affected by a, a data breach, I can, in principle, take a case against the um, state um, if my data was 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 breached, and that could be lead to compensation. So these are really serious things that have huge negative consequences for the state, not just from a kind of reputational damage point of view, but from a monetary standpoint as well. 
Yeah, and from a reputation point of view, and I've harped on this so many times, and I'm literally going to spend 10 seconds harping on it again. The Minister for Defence and Foreign Affairs said his phone was hacked and then just left it there, left it out in the ether. His colleagues, his minister didn't seem to give a damn. Hardly anybody else really gave it. Ah, yeah, but you, that's the kind of something you say, you know, and maybe his phone sort of was hacked. Um, these are really, you know, these are like, I mean, I know it's, I know we're kind of, we're, 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 we're preaching to, to, to our own choir, but like, these are really important concepts, like how a country is operating, how it runs, the information that the state stores um, about everybody, about all its operations, about what it does, about how ministers make decisions. Obviously, this is really critical information, almost all of which is held digitally, almost all of which yeah. is, is stored digitally, which is transmitted digitally. And there has to be some sort of common approach across the whole infrastructure of the state to either mitigate, and again, there's no magic bullets here. It's a bit like the pandemic. There's no magic bullets when it comes to protecting the state from, from cyber intrusion or attacks or, or whatever. But there is a series of steps you can take that will help mitigate risk or otherwise keep stuff as safe as possible because the return on investment that you put into that is relatively high. If you spend money to help protect systems, then you're protecting all sorts of things that are monetary and non-monetary in the future. But these things are... Don't I, maybe it's just me and you, Adrian. I take these things really seriously. I don't see why I mean, it's I, not high I don't on think the it's, agenda. I, uh, I don't know. I don't think it's me and you. And talk about high on the agenda. The HSE attack happened in May. We managed to go all of 2021 as we talk in late December. There's still no director of the National Cybersecurity Center. Still, after over a year, talk about investing in it. They started with a low ball salary. I think it was 85 grand. Now they've raised that. I think they've uh, they've doubled the maximum allowable salary there. And that is a lot of money, but it still may not get you director of national uh, cyber uh, security. Um, you know, the like the, la the last international security index that I saw, which is, I think the ITU one, had us at, I think, 52nd between Tunisia and Nigeria. UK is number two. Yeah. I, I wonder, like, I don't... We don't give a damn, Gav. I don't, we I, don't care. I, and I don't even know why. Why is this not considered a more important issue than it is is it because we think of ourselves as maybe neutral and maybe not the highest yes, target or we, that's we the reason think, and, and i'm like what can we matter. do we're a little country it's up to other countries to deal with those cyber criminals i mean we're we're, our, we're good at other things that's honestly i think that's it i i think that might be it and also i, I think that that seriously uh jeopardizes the security of every citizen in the country and jeopardizes the security of the state Hundred percent. We could go on a lot more about that. But anyway, um, it was a big. It was a big fail. Twenty twenty. It was a big fail. I'm going to go for five G as a, another, in my opinion, a loser. In the sense that hardly anybody was excited about it. Take up in Ireland is really slow. Under five percent of connections are five G, despite it covering over half the country. The operators had to essentially uh, quit their premium charges for five G because nobody was uh, was uh, buying it uh, for itself and most damningly nobody can yet say exactly what the advantage of 5g connection is for am i being too cynical uh well i'm one of the few that did upgrade 5g this year uh, did you pay for it i like so what happened was i'm on a uh, i was on a and, and no promotion here but i was just on a three month to month contract on a normal mm. 4g contract uh, pay as you go but not, well month to month where you, you you're not on a contract you just have the sim card it's a sim only plan because i always buy my own phone um 
And there was a deal to add on 5G because I upgraded my phone to a Pixel 4a 5G earlier this year. And I was like, well, I might. Nice, I might, great lo- phone. Lovely phone. Yeah. And it was, on, it was, they had a, they had a hundred euros off on the Google website. I was like, that's a, a great. So it's an, actually, that's an unbelievable bargain. You deal. got one of the best yeah. bargains of the year. Great, yeah. great, great phone. Great deal. Battery life's incredible. But I upgraded to 5G. I think it worked out like three or four euros extra. The upgrade to right. 5G. Now it is patchy. I've been around the country a bit, obviously pandemic notwithstanding. You can't really te- get tested out a huge amount. But when I have been in, say, Cork City Centre, Dublin City Centre, even in Cove down the road from me, where I was getting like 600 megs, 700 megs down on the 5G connection, I mean, that's great. I mean, I, I tested it. I was like, oh, I can watch a 4K video on YouTube without any buffering or without any issues straight mm-hmm. away on, on, a, on a 5G connection. But after that, what what do I need 5G? What do I need 5G for? I have not. So I, I and then after that, I've been I've been covering the sector for years, and I can't answer that I, question. I don't see any particular utility to, to to 700 megs on my phone. Now, obviously, the first thing you do is you tether your phone to your laptop and go, well, now I'd like. But then it, I don't get 5G phones when I'm tethering. I get 4G speeds when I'm tethering because I think now, yeah. don't hold this against. But I think three actually might be throttling my connection when I'm tethered and don't give me the full 5G speeds because I have tested it multiple times in multiple locations where I've been on 5G on my phone, got very fast speeds, then tethered to my laptop as a mobile Wi-Fi hotspot, and I was back to 100 meg. Uh, on, on Gavin, as you well know, operators don't throttle their sorry, services. Sorry. They manage the network. They, manage the network. they yeah. manage the network. And if that results in you getting a less than optimum speed for the good of everybody else, well, <laughs> like, you know. And, and, and it's, it's actually is crazy because I as uh, I upgraded to 1G, 1 gig speeds on Firebird to the home this year as well from 500. And the speeds are actually largely equivalent for the, because obviously when you have Wi-Fi in your home, you don't necessarily get one mm. gig depending on the, the device and the router that you have. So like, you know, I have Wi-Fi, a Wi-Fi 6 a router and a Wi-Fi 6 laptop. And... That should give you about 700, 800 meg throughput. But you actually can get mm. that on 5G in Dublin City Center uh, on your device. Right. But obviously, once you've tethered it to your machine, you don't get that speed. That's what, in all the tests no. I've done. In all the tests. And you're also into the world of data caps and things like that as well, and fair use policy. And that's another uh, And that's uh, actually a thing that happens when, when I was testing it. You know when you go on fast.com or speedtest.net mm. to test your speed on 5G on your phone? I was do I did it so often I was getting data cap warnings from three when you're using too much data. Um, See, this is it. I mean, this is it. Uh, listen, I'm not going to go into this rant. This really is another rant uh, that, that I've had on top of my lips for the last two years. Uh, fair use policies and whether 50 gigs should be enough, 100 gigs should be enough, whether five 500 gigs should be enough. I don't think the mobile operators in particular are honest about that i have we've had done podcasts about this i've written articles about that i'm not defaming anybody when i say that it's just not an honest i, I think i think on, on the plus side though if i was to say something nice maybe about the eu it would be i did do a bit of yep. traveling this year uh, and notwithstanding the pandemic 21 gigs of allowance when you're abroad when on when i was abroad is fantastic i it is good. and even when you go above the allowance and i didn't it's still extremely cheap per megabyte than it, than it used to be. It is. And it's, that's one of the- We're talking about losers here. Sorry, sorry, let's save just, the nice just, stuff <laughs> for a few minutes. Okay. Well, seeing as you mentioned broadband, let's go on to one of the ones that you picked as possibly a loser of 2021, which was the National Broadband Plan. Yeah. So the National Broadband Plan has obviously has obviously had issues because of the pandemic um, on, on terms of um, how many premises they're passing. Uh, throughout the country and also the timelines look like they're quite long all the all the things you see where people are reporting you know when do you expect to get connected if you are uh, within the, the mm-hmm. catchment of the national broadband plan could be like 2026 
So, and also there's just been the recent controversy based on reporting and the currency and some of the business posts uh, in the main about um, the, the corporate structure of the national broadband plans uh, related entities and all the, the investors and the, the, the contract and the whole thing has, has come up in the last couple of weeks. But I think from a technical perspective, it's like, well, the whole plan was to spend an enormous amount of money rolling out fiber to the home, to the, to, 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 to the premises that were probably not commercially viable for the main operators. Um, it's going to take a long time and it's taking longer than people expected. And yes, there's a, a large amount of money being handed over already. And we're kind of going, well, where are we? And, and I don't think, and, and the other thing well, I would can say I just, to the yeah. actual problem plan, it's not necessarily their fault if they pass a house and nobody connects to it. That's not really the issue. If, if someone doesn't sign up, they don't sign up. That's a, a long-term issue where somebody maybe in the house just doesn't need broad, fiber broadband or don't want it. And then somebody else moves into the house in 10 years time and does need it. And then that's a connection. It's really the passing to me is the issue. And if the passing is not accelerated fast enough, we're in trouble because it really should be happening as yeah. fast as possible. Yeah. I, I wrote a piece at the weekend along those lines in terms of, for me, the bigger, the biggest single issue is the speed of the rollout and how many homes get connected. We're well behind. There was 115,000 supposed to be by the end of January. It's going to be under half of that. Um, there are two things. I don't fully agree with you about the national broadband plan um, in the sense that when you say that, for example, that a huge amount of money has been handed over, my understanding that from the department is that all of the money that has been handed over has been paid by the state. I think it's 132 million. Literally all of that has gone into salaries and materials. I think it depends on how you read the way the corporate structure has been done or how much money was, was extracted out of the company at the start of the process. But as you say, yeah. we leave that to the lawyers in, in the department or whoever. To yeah, no, out. absolutely. Um, because because yeah. there is, there is, there, there was a, there was a payout, but we won't get into it. But like, I would say that mm. there's another big issue that's happening related to that, which is the duplication of infrastructure. So what's happening is, is, the way air is rolling out the open air fiber to the home network, mm. it's going to be probably duplicated in a lot of locations where, where actually what will happen is national problem, national problem in Ireland will end up duplicating lines across it because they're not sharing. And what's going to happen is, yeah, I, I, do you know what I looked into, I looked into that. So the figures, the best figures we have, there are 544,000. Actually, it's gone up to 555,000 now because an extra 10,000 were either new builds or rural premises that were on airlines, but they're too crap to actually, they're, they're the below 30 meg per yeah. second. Yeah, yeah, so they've been added to the intervention area. I think the figure is between 25 and 45,000 of the so-called encroachment. That's where air is going to pass a home that is actually within the intervention area, right? Um, and I asked because I was kind of curious about that, because one of the implications there is, well, does that mean that we, the taxpayer, are now going to pay for them to connect to home, which has already been serviced by air. And they don't actually have a, a, a clear answer for that. They say they'll deal with it on a case-by-case think, case I think, case I think part of the problem with the overall that I've had with the broadband plan since the beginning, going back several years, mm. and, 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 and of it's also its previous incarnation, um, ENA, uh, the, the ENET uh, Metropolitan Area Network uh, scheme that goes back to 2004, is the lack of transparency around exactly what the hell is going on, um, especially it's for a such a point, very yeah. expensive contracts. Both contracts, the ENET uh, one that originated with the, the Metropolitan Air Networks, which was as far back as the, the Mary O'Rourke era in the Department of Enterprise, and then all the way to today, is there's no transparency about a lot of things. And even the redacted version of the contract that was released it, it doesn't answer a lot of questions but that we're asking. It's like, well, if it's a state contract, mm -hmm. if National Broadband Ireland and National Broadband Plan is, is a state 
uh, essentially contractor, why can't we just get more information about what's going on? It's a very fair point. I think most people agree with that. There is one, before we leave this thing though, it, I find having reported on this for years, a lot of it comes back to a very, very, very basic um, idea is whether or not you think it is justified to subsidize fiber broadband, very expensive to roll out to rural areas, uh, to that half a million rural homes. To me, a lot of it comes back to that one basic point. I, I, I Look, I'm not anti-broadband. <laughs> like, so I completely agree that fiber to the home as a technology is the most, because like the current rollout is, I think it's 10 gigabit theoretical upper limit symmetrical, yeah. so up and down. Yes. So that's extremely good technology. It's the highest end, best of the best you could possibly probably deploy right now in any country it's, in the world. It's basically so, 20 to 30 years. Yeah, it's, it's really, yeah. It's, so, and I often have equated this back 15 years ago to, you know, rolling out electricity infrastructure in Ireland back in the early 20th century. So you go, well, this is in principle something that needs to be done, but then it's about cost benefit after that. It's like, well, is there a diminishing return? How do you calculate the cost benefit? Originally, when the National Broadband Plan was proposed, I think under the previous administration, it was like five, six hundred million. Within the space of a year, it escalated to like three billion. And you're kind of going, okay, first of all, what was the rationale for that? But also, it was fiber. How do you, how, it how was do fiber. You, it was, so the, it, the original plan was was based largely still on phone lines and upgrading the phone lines. The new yeah, plan VDSL was to build like was yeah. was the, was to build out fiber. That's five times as expensive easily. Yeah, I, I you see, there's and, and there's there's a kind of a to me there's like a, a larger argument which says, and it goes back to what we were saying about five G mm. is what are the theoretical uh, applications of ten gigabit fiber to every pre- property in the country? Yes, it's just yeah. trying to future proof it. Well, right? it, to, to, to me, it's not just ten gigs. It's let's say five hundred megs, for example, which is the entry level for fiber. So, is that is that too fast for the next ten years? I don't think it is. Um, I don't think so. Are, are there other technologies there that could substitute for that in the next year or two? Yes, in five or ten years, I'm not sure. I don't know, but I'm not sure. But is there anyone who is getting a fiber broadband connection now who this year in five years time, in 15 years time, would pick a different type of broadband to that fiber broadband? I don't think so. And then you look at it from another perspective is, is that why did we choose the mechanism that we used to build the national broadband? Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Why, I, I, why, why would you not have just done it? Like, I know that there are considerations to do it, a, a sub- subsidization and with EU law to do mm. with this project. But at the same time, that doesn't mean you can't go, well, we're going to just roll it out and we'll have no man in the middle, for lack of a better word. I know that's a hacking term, but there's no man in the middle who is maybe uh, taking money off the table between the state and the broadband being built. So it's mm-hmm. like, maybe it would have been better just to go, let's just roll it out using, like, I mean, Syro is a good example of how a joint, joint venture between uh, Vodafone and the ESP can end up being, well, we just roll it along. It, it is infrastructure. It, it is but 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 they've no they have no intent they never had any intention of actually getting those half a million rural homes it's all oh, I, no i understand that homes. but yeah. you could also like say this, this well, is basically enterprise. <laughs> this is basically a state major state subsidy this is i mean this is like to, i think to people in big cities the ones who get annoyed about it other than issues of governance i think the a lot of the motivation behind it is 
they feel the same way about this as people living in, say, the rural Midlands do about billions pledged to a metro in Dublin. Mm. I, I think there is an element. Anyway, do you know what? We've, we've, Maybe. We've, we've, uh, <laughs> we've beaten the it's horse. It's an interesting on, subject. <laughs> yeah, it's a very interesting subject. We've beaten the horse on that one. Um, any other losers? Do you have any other losers? I have one or two. Do you have any other losers? Uh, no, you go ahead. I, I folding, phones. folding phones. Oh, oh, folding Sorry, phones. Sorry, guys. Um, don't get it. I, 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 to me, and this is where we're in complete agreement, I think, why? Why? I, like, folding phones existed as an anachronism of the reason older phones were built a certain way not because because they were getting like we had to flip phones like the the model uh, the razor x or whatever razor z well, yep. back in back in 15 years ago the, the pre-iphone era why would you try to apply you know touchscreen technology to a folding device there's one folding device Sell it to me. there's <laughs> one that sort of works it's the mo- it's the uh, not the motorola it's the samsung flip the z flip model and that's because right. you can flip it in half and you can sort of fit it into your back pocket and there's all that kind of thing. But problems, you've two hands to do it, which means it's it's not actually a flip phone in, in the proper way. And the specs on it aren't quite as good as other Samsung flagship phones. And it still costs over a thousand euros. So they just haven't done it for me. I, I Right now, I don't see the flip phone being making a major kind of I, I kind of go with, with features like this. I kind of go, nice to have or need to have. And I think it's neither. Right. <laughs> it's like yeah, well right. it's not it's not doesn't really add any benefit it, and if you're mm. if you're talking about price would i choose a phone at the same price point that has a better camera or more more memory or, yeah. or whatever yes i would i would why would i go yeah. for flip phone seems not much of a reason to have one have you heard the news the irish independent has a new podcast we're not in the fairy tale business as journalists we're in the truth business and the question were there 20 minutes Five days a week, the Indo Daily takes you beyond the headlines and into Ireland's most talked about stories. So, 25 years on, people are absolutely fascinated again with this case. The Indo Daily podcast, available on Spotify, Apple, independent.ie, and wherever you get your podcasts. My last loser is, I always get into trouble when I say this, the electric car charging network around the country. Now, you notice how I didn't say electric cars because Jesus, I get in trouble when I say that because I love electric. I've, I've been trying to buy one for the last few months and I do have a problem with range for my purposes. Big asterisks for my purposes, for the use that I need a car and that is to go quite a long distance and know that there's not just one or two decent fast chargers on the way, but there's a choice of seven or eight. I don't think that's too much to ask. So I think the electric car charging network um, we now have uh, electric car sales hitting double digits in Ireland in terms of percentage of all car sales. They're going pretty well. The big problem is actually uh, um, a scarcity of supply with them. But with that many new electric cars being uh, sold, if you want to leave the city, you want to go to the other side of the country on a Friday or a Saturday, and you now there, there are now 10,000 other people maybe doing the same thing as you, you can't rely on the one or two, you know, non-slow chargers to be free. Yeah, like I don't, I don't own a car at the moment, and I, I use public transport for everything. But then, I, so you're the you're yeah. the real eco hero. Like, well, of- well, it's 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 simply down to the fact that the pandemic has, for a lot of reasons, has meant that I I, I work on Zoom. Um, yeah. So, um, and I can use public transport when I need to. But um, if I was buying a car, I would go hybrid or electric, probably electric. 
Um, I think with the charging infrastructure, it's always been this kind of chicken and egg problem. It's always been, well, we'll build the charging network when the cars are more in demand. And you're like, but in order to get the cars more in demand, you have to build the charging network. And I think in fairness to, to Tesla being one of the biggest uh, electric car manufacturers, uh, or if not the biggest, then they, they took this approach of, well, just we'll just build our own charging infrastructure around mm. the world. Um, so they have their supercharger stations, a few of them in Ireland. And I just saw one, actually, I was in Man Point in Cork recently. Mm. There's, there's a new one there. Um, a four, it's hardly five, any four, in Ireland. Four or five port. There's not, there isn't, there's not, a, there's not, a, I mean, I suppose Tesla's argument would be Ireland's a really small country. So actually yeah. on one, on one charge with a, a theoretical, sorry, upper limit charge of a, of a Model 3 or something, you could get from Dublin to Galway on, on a single charge. And Oh, you definitely could, yeah. And then charge in Galway or charge on the, on the, the motorway on the way there. And then yeah. there's the other one then between Cork and Dublin. But you're right in the sense that if you're, you, you, I was, I was over in the Netherlands recently, and the infrastructure there is way ahead. It's like I we stopped. At, I was on the way to Eindhoven from the Hague, and we stopped at a Shell station, and it was like there was, I think there was four separate electric chargers in mm. the Shell station with what all the the three different connectors. Um, I think two of them were fast chargers. One was a slow charger, I think. But then also around um, a city like the Hague. On street charging is everywhere. Like it's literally you, you, mm. you're where they have on street parking in front of people's houses. They have like a charging point that will charge two cars just on the road. Yeah, like on park. And it doesn't side. matter that they're slow chargers because because it's outside your house. Yeah, and you might be spending an hour or two there, so that's enough to give you, you know, twenty percent or twenty five percent to top you up. But the problem in Ireland is that most of them still seem to be slow chargers. So. You go to a rural town, yeah, there might be one or two electric charges there. Chances are they're slow charges, which means that unless you're they're situated in the place you're staying, you're now stuck there for two or three hours and, at and, that and, one and, spot. And as you said, this range anxiety that will come from the, the lack of the charging network mm. is preventing people making a decision to buy an electric car that they might want Hello. to buy. Hello, yeah. me. Like... Absolutely me. I mean, I am literally ready to spend the extra... 10 grand or something it is. If you want to buy a family-sized electric car, I don't mean a smaller one, a Renault Zoe, but if you want to buy a family-sized one, if you've got a family, you've got a dog, or you need to transport stuff, it is kind of 10 grand or so more. You you won't get one for under generally 40 grand. That's generally what you're paying. I'm actually willing to take a loan to do that, but the electric bloody charging network is preventing me. Anyway, look, we, um, uh, we've... Uh, Flog that one, um, I, I think. Okay, let's go on briefly to the winners. Um, we may disagree on this as well, not uh, existentially, but just in terms of the effect. I have said that crypto and NFTs in the in their rise have proven to be winners in 2021. Is that, uh, am I... Hype, hyping this is, something this, up. This is a highly contentious issue on Twitter as well. If you yeah. start tweeting about this kind of stuff, people have very strong views. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of agnostic to some extent on crypto uh, in general, depending on the utility and its use case. Mm. Right on NFTs, I'm far more skeptical because what I see in the marketing of it um, is a lot of very weird pump and dump type schemes yeah, to say time. that X or Y is worth something that is not worth that, that there's an attempt to say, if you buy this now, it's going to be worth something more in the future. And sometimes that's somehow that's the future of something. And I'm yeah. like, well, what actually are you selling here? And what is the marketing saying? Because a lot of people say, well, 
the, the, the kind of bull argument or the pro argument of the technology underlying it as well, oh, this is going to change ownership structures and it's going to do all this new new era of stuff. But when you actually look at the marketing, it's actually just a lot of, this will be worth more in the future than it is now. And yeah. I'm like, but that's just, that's just. VC that's, pump and dump. That's just a, that's just a bubble. That's just, yeah. well. I always get suspicious when I see sort of former life coaches and former gurus pop up on LinkedIn, you could have been doing much, but all of a sudden they're, they're NFT evangelists. I do where, although I did tune into a, a Twitter open space the other day with, um, a bunch of them, including Kevin Abosh. I'm not sure if you know Kevin, a digital artist. I've been following his career for a long time. Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, the guy who sold a, a picture, a photo of a potato for over a million euro, he's now a very significant NFT powered digital artist, shall we say. He's made several millions of euros. But, but, but my question to that is, is in the like, so, like, yeah. I mean, in a way, like, yeah. and I, I hate to be a flippant, like, but I'm like, Yes, some people will make a lot of money, but then mm. other people will buy a bunch of NFTs that are worth mm. nothing and will never be worth anything no, because they're just there. A hundred percent. I guess my criteria in trying to judge whether it was a winner or a loser is just that there is a groundswell of people who think there is that this is interesting enough, um, you know, to, yeah, to, yeah. to, to, to pay yeah. heed I mean, to. I mean, Christie's uh, announced the other day that they... It was over $150 million in NFT-related sales. Now, you can say that it's a pyramid scheme or that the people buying that stuff are mugs, but, you know... I think, I think I but look, I, I'm not going to say one over the other, but the way I look at things like this, especially in the early days, is there's a lot of people with invested interests in making it look as if they're more valuable than they are at the start in order to yeah. get more people into the, into the scheme. 100%, I, I'm not yeah. saying it's a pyramid scheme, but to get them into the funnel in order for them to buy the assets, in order for more people at the top to make more money and to continue to continue the cycle. So you're yep. kind of going, to what end? What's, to the, what end? what's the goal? I don't It'll know. all be explained in Web3. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know? I think that's a good rebranding effort as well, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll just pick two more because we're running out of time. Um, I'm going to say Apple. You would agree with me there? Oh, Apple had a great year. I have a brand yeah. new Apple MacBook Pro 14-inch uh, Retina uh, and with that all important m1 chip a, a 64 gigs ram m1f m1 max wow. the top spec 14 inch 64 uh, gig on the end with yeah. the oh the, <laughs> i, I didn't even realize they made it uh you could expand yeah you have the to get the to 10 that. core in order to get this i think it's you have to get the 10 core to get the 64 gig ram version so really it's the best apple i've, I've had macbook pros now since i converted mm. to 2007 to mac um it's the best machine i've ever bought uh it's really really good machine um and Apple have finally realized that the touch bar era of devices Gone. for MacBooks was a disaster and the keyboards were a disaster. And no more crap butterfly keyboard. Yeah. Finally, they're gone. They've got rid of, they're fine. And the touch bars will hopefully be gone next year from all the remaining devices. And we'll have these lovely machines that I'm using right now, which is a great machine. Brilliant battery life, lovely screen, really fast. Everything is instant. It's a fantastic machine. Just to round off the context of our what's 5G for, what is 10 gig broadband for, what is 64 gig RAM for? I've no idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, do do could it go to sixty four? I think I'll try it. I, I, try to it. be honest, one of the main reasons is is a little bit what we we're talking about earlier is when I bought my first sixteen gig MacBook Pro back in twenty thirteen of RAM, 
people were like, but you could just get eight gigs. It's fine. And I was like, no, I think I'll get a, a, a good long life out of this thing. And I was right. I did get a long period out of that 16 gig uh, MacBook Pro uh, mm. 15 inch. And I'm thinking the same about this, to be honest, yeah. the battery's so long. I'm like, I'll definitely get five years out of this machine. So yeah. I t- and you can't obviously upgrade the, the RAM later. You have to get it at the time of purchase. So I was like, okay, maybe My- just some circumstances I'll need it. My last winner is budget mobile customers in the sense that we now have Gomo 15 euro a month, Clear Mobile 15 euro a month, at 48 we've done by three, 11 euro per month, pretty much 100 gigabytes or more of data using the 4G networks of their parent companies. Why on earth would you, uh, if you have your own phone, would you go with Vodafone 3 or Air? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not in that bucket, but I, I think you're right. I think that, that you know, I'm, I'm paying whatever unlimited data, so I don't even have to think about it for, for yeah. three. Um, and it's whatever, 20, 28 euros a month or 26 euros a month. And I'm kind of going, Jesus, like not just that, not just the, the really, uh, really good data allowances on low prices. If you're buying your own SIM card and you buy your own phone, like a, a two to 300 euro Android phone now are really, really, there's so many nice, it's near near Android, near stock Android or stock Android phones like Nokia's and Motorola's mm. that are like in that price bracket, which are absolutely lovely phones with really good battery life, with nice OS, with with you know three years of security updates or OS updates with Android. And I'm kind of going, these are lovely phones, they're not expensive on a nice SIM only deal. You'll actually have a really nice uh, experience and a nice device. Yep, yep. I, I would say one more winner though. Go on to to to, talk, to finish it off about the the negative of a charging infrastructure. A winner is e-bikes and bicycles in general. And what I would say about bicycles is bicycles are technology and it's a way of getting around. And most trips are actually just getting around. And what's the benefit of the last year? Massive investment going into cycling infrastructure. That means you can use the lovely technology of bicycles to get around. This this is very true. I tried a few of them uh, during the year and um, they are expensive is the only thing. The the, the full-sized e-bikes, Ten, you tend not to be able to get one for under twelve or thirteen hundred euro. There are a few exceptions to that, and you see, like where I live, there's a, a lot of the teenagers zipping around on those small little electric bikes. Um, but what I did find about the e-bikes is uh, that because I'm not a cyclist per se, but having one, I actually bring it out more. Yeah, and, and like I, I look at I, again in the Netherlands, you see this where people, a lot of people have e-bikes, and you actually mm. they have a lot of e-bikes for sale in shops at much higher prices than those as well. Yeah. And you're kind of going. When you see people cycling around with them, you're like, well, there's no insurance costs. There's no petrol. There's no charging. Yeah. There's no, yeah. Well, there's very little charging, as I say, with e-bikes. Mm. So, and you can carry, obviously, the battery with you sometimes into the office and just plug it in and you're done. So I think it's a real, I think that's the biggest thing that's going to change. I think a lot of people are going to make a decision actually not to buy a car at all. They're just going to end up buying e-bikes or bicycles. And that's and as long as the infrastructure is safe to use, it's probably the best option because it's the most environmentally friendly. That's a good call, and it's a great note uh, to finish off on. So Gavin Sheridan, the co-founder and CEO of VizLegal, and also the creator of the excellent newsletter, which you can see at gav.substack.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks, William. And from me, Adrian Meckler, the tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent, I will talk to you uh, in 2022, because this is the last podcast of 2021. So thank you very much for having been with us for the year and i will see you same time next week bye-bye have you heard the news 
The Irish Independent has a new podcast. Thousands of people who work in the events industry are making more noise than ever. But are they being listened to? 20 minutes, five days a week, the Indo Daily takes you beyond the headlines and into Ireland's most talked about stories. Two gangs, 18 people killed, families torn apart. The Indo Daily podcast, available on Spotify, Apple, independent.ie and wherever you get your podcasts.